Channel 253. In this episode of Crossing Division. Wellspring doesn't, we don't have facilities. We are huge advocates that, I mean, you need hundreds of units yeah, in absolutely. Tacoma. I mean, you yeah. really do. Like yeah. we just, we need affordable housing stock in this community. So if any yeah. of your listeners have ideas about affordable housing stock <laughs> yeah, or land or developers who have that compassionate interest, I mean, it's Tacoma and Pierce County need it badly. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Hi, this is Evelyn Lopez. Today on Crossing Division, we are talking with Peter Drury and Marque Seamster about Wellspring Family Services and homelessness services that are happening in and around Tacoma Public Schools. Really important topic. Um, Sorry, no holiday cheer for y'all, but this is more (laughs) important, frankly. Um, So um, let's start out. Marquay, you introduce yourself and tell me what you do with Wellspring. Uh, My name is Marquay Seamster. I'm a housing stability specialist with Wellspring here in Pierce County um, with the TSHAP program, uh, Tacoma Schools and Housing Assistance Program. And um, I've been with Wellspring about a year and a half. Excellent. All right, Peter, you introduce yourself. I'm Peter Drury. I serve as chief strategy officer for the organization. And in a transitional time of leadership, I'm directing the housing team as well, specifically. And um, we're in Pierce King and Snohomish counties, and so my focus is really across all three counties. Okay, excellent. Well, I should uh, say, you know, I didn't know anything about Wellspring, and I got contacted by a friend of mine, Matt Lund, who I used to work with at the Attorney General's office, Mm. and he said, you know, he was on the board of Wellspring, and he really thought that there was some really important stuff going on in Tacoma that he wanted um, us to talk about, and so we set this up. Um, but let's start, uh, either Peter or Markway. Tell me more kind of big picture. What is Wellspring? What do you do? Sure. Wellspring Family Services is a kind of a complex organization. Uh, we have a very simple mission, but it gets played out in a number of different programs. So our mission is to end the cycle of homelessness for families. So we're specifically looking for the kind of hidden population of families who are homeless, experiencing homelessness. Um, and are often either doubled up with other families, they're living in their cars, sometimes they're in the places that you see publicly like an encampment, but not very much. Mm -hmm. Families tend to hide to stay safe and keep their kids safe. Uh, We do that in the King County area. We have an early learning center, so a pre-K for children who are experiencing homelessness. As it happens, it's the only one we know of in the state of Washington that's dedicated to children experiencing homelessness. And our director of that program, Bavette Irvis, has done that for about 33 years. It's a truly remarkable program. And we want to inspire many people in childcare and early learning to take seriously the needs of children experiencing homelessness because Mm -hmm. they have an extra set of trauma. It plays out in their behaviors and they tend to get kicked out of child cares because the child care system isn't, you know, and aren't aren't used to dealing with them. So early learning in children and homelessness is big for us. We also have this team that Marquay serves on in several counties and areas um, called housing. It's our housing services team. They largely are navigators to help people get guidance to find housing or to stay stable in their housing. So Wellspring does not own any facilities. We don't build affordable housing units. We don't have any shelters. We don't do that. We refer to those places or we try to get people out of shelter into stable housing, that kind of thing. So we're we're more like a, a navigator, guide, friend, uh, resource, uh, resource helper. We, we know from the data that um, – 
one of the greatest barriers for families finding housing is just knowing where to turn. Mm-hmm. So we try to be a place where you can turn and get some help. That's really what, what we're doing. We have behavioral health services as well, counselors, therapists, that kind of thing. And uh, we also have a free family store that right now we have it in Seattle. We have plans on bringing that uh, down to Tacoma through a mobile. Um, we have a, we've, Boeing gave us an award to buy a big truck to make that into a mobile store. And what that is is it's a – Picture like a really good uh, small goodwill, Mm -hmm. like a little shopping experience like that, but it's free. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, we still design all the like the cash register experience. So children shop with their parents. They see Mm -hmm. their parents making decisions. They get to have family choices about shopping that they don't get to in other places. And so 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 several things like that. But uh, but as you'll learn from our Quay today, he's on that team that's helping people navigate and families facing homelessness are scared. I mean, they're really scared. And. And in this case, when we talk about it relative to the Tacoma Public Schools, it's student families whose kids are just trying to be in school and stay in school and parents want to keep them in school. But homelessness is a real threat. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, Marquay, tell me about your work with um, families in Tacoma and particularly this program with the Tacoma Public Schools. Uh, so we have a partnership with the uh, McKinney-Vento liaisons. Um, there's a team of counselors and um, folks that uh, send us Referrals, um, they'll send it to my uh, direct program manager, and uh, she'll divvy out the referrals in that way, and we'll make direct contact with the families, and the, the liaisons in the school also help us to contact the families. Sometimes we'll reach out to the families because of the homelessness. They don't have access to computers. Uh, they may have phones, but, again, those are just phones that are loaded with minutes or oh, something of that yeah. nature. Um, so sometimes it's really difficult to contact the families, but the counselors are there to help us directly. We'll email them or give them a phone call. Um, and then after that connection is made with the families, um, we'll, um, we'll pre-COVID or around COVID, most of it is was on the phone or mm-hmm. um, if the family had access to a computer or Zoom or something of that nature. But now we're kind of able to meet in person. So that is the uh, better experience that we want to have to be able to meet the families where they are. Yeah. Um, and that mostly happens in... Uh, coffee shops or just wherever they're available Mm -hmm. uh, so we can meet them and be able to talk with the family and uh, meet the kiddos and whatnot. So um, in that process, we just kind of hear the family story and see what they're kind of dealing with to see how we can best um, offer services and, you know, kind of just really just walk with them in the process. Give me an example of, um, you know, how this sort of comes to your attention and how you then intervene and, and what assistance you're able to provide? Uh, so it all depends on uh, the actual family um, circumstance, right? Um, mm-hmm. For instance, there's a family that I know that um, are multiple families that stay in hotels and uh, mom or dad may be working, but, yeah. you know, the hotel costs, they get really uh, super expensive. You know, they charge weekly rates. So a lot of times I'll meet with the families and then um, we'll talk with the family to see what their situation is and and best supporting them. We'll just kind of fill out a goal sheet mm-hmm. um, to kind of, you know, give us a roadmap to what, what steps do we want to take first. I know, you know, currently your house now, um, as far as in a place where you're not yeah. on the street, yeah. right, but not, not somewhere where you can call home. Um, we want to kind of develop a plan in that way and then kind of hit some goals. If the families, if the parents aren't working, we want to find f- help with resources to find employment. Um, we have some partnerships with Amazon where we can send them to fill out applications and whatnot as well. Um, and just really just developing a roadmap to 
be able to support the family firsthand and then also checking in the kiddos, making sure that they're able to go to school. A lot of the time, a lot of times the families aren't um, the kid are kiddos aren't in school consistently because of the homelessness um, issue. So mm-hmm. have you found when you're talking with these families, is, is there any sort of themes that you see again and again of either how people end up this way or sort of, you know, major barriers that sort of cause everything to fall apart for them? Um, a lot of it is, uh, in my experience, is evictions. Like they were, like in, in talking with the families and finding out their story, um, you know, and talking to them, we kind of um, try to figure out where they were before this, right? Yeah. So they paint us this picture of we were staying in this place and then something happened. A lot of it happened because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, Apartment managers or um, housing managers were nervous or the family got uh, in a situation where they weren't able to pay rent. So Mm -hmm. then they got evicted. Um, That's all before the moratorium uh, stuff happened. And then they ended up homeless. A lot of them uh, are dealing with a lot of just um, barriers as far as back um, electricity bills, like things of that nature. Um, and, uh, most importantly, I think they are struggling with, uh, financial, um, stability, right? Mm -hmm. Not being Mm -hmm. able to work, not being able to keep a job because of having to be balanced with the kiddos and making sure the kiddos are good where they're at and then not having a place to call home. It, it causes great challenge to be stable somewhere. Yeah, Peter? Yeah, and I might add into that a little bit that everything Marquay is saying is consistent with what we see nationally and in the region where when people think about homelessness, they very quickly think about, oh, drug and alcohol addiction or mental yeah. health yeah. crisis. And while that may be more true with a chronic adult homeless population, I mean, it's true that if you went and talked to somebody in an encampment, your likelihood of meeting somebody who might be either addicted or have mental illness would be great. I mean, that's, yeah. that's also not inherent, but you, but the, but proportionally, yeah. that's going to be the case. With families, it was interesting just to hear Marquay answer that because that's exactly what the data plays out is it's a poverty issue. I mean, it just yeah. – we know from national data that, you know, a large number of Americans have no more than $500 in a bank account as just extra money if they have an emergency. Uh, that I think there's something like 40% of Americans are in that status. You can get that in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. I mean, that's that's well-known data, right? Absolutely. But we also know statistically that at least once every three years, people have a $2,500 crisis, right? It's health care. It's a vehicle. It's a, you know, it's a death in the family, whatever. And I mean 2,500, you know, or or more. So basically a lot of people in this country and a lot of people in this local community, and it's disproportionate in Tacoma and Pierce County, I have to say, um, are so close to crisis all the time. So what Marquay is giving voice to is that people experience a crisis, one thing tips them over, and then it's so hard to get out of it. It's yeah. so hard to get out. I, um, I'm i not doing this anymore. For a while, was spending Fridays at the Housing Justice Project in Olympia mm-hmm. as an attorney helping people mm-hmm. who were being evicted. Thank and you. And yeah. one, um, one woman's situation just was, to me, the, the, the absolute commonplace, you know, because you do see themes again and again, and hers was... Um, she had a violation, some kind of a, I mean, minor, not anything big, like uh, driving with a busted taillight, something like that. Mm-hmm. So she had a ticket, didn't pay it, mm-hmm. couldn't pay it, you know, built up over time. The fines built up, the fines built up. She was then, you know, got another ticket or something. Somehow she came to the attention where she got arrested. Mm. She didn't have the money to pay the fine, so she spent three days in jail over nothing, yeah. right? No public Absolutely. safety issue whatsoever. Yeah. Um, because she spent three days in jail, she lost her job. Yeah. Wow. Uh, she then lost her housing because she couldn't pay rent. Yeah. And then she lost her kids 
because um, Child yeah. Protective Services yeah. came in um, because she no longer had housing. Her whole life gone because of a taillight. I mean, yeah. our kind, we do some yeah. really crap yeah. things to people. That's exactly yeah. right. In fact, what you're saying, I'm I'm pleased that you know I want your audience to know that we didn't like pre-rehearse this conversation. <laughs> I mean, what you've just said to me is about the most typical tragic Absolutely, case study yeah. I can imagine. And when you add, and honestly. Back to the taillight. I mean, you think about the disproportionate racism along, you know, along the lines of who gets pulled over. I mean, like, right. there's yeah. so many ways, right, in terms of how this aggregates. But that example, we actually at Wellspring, I didn't mention this in terms of our official programs, but it's exactly why we've been trying to raise more and more money in our fundraising that's flexible. Mm-hmm. Because believe it or not, like, there might be funding out there to help, like, end with the Housing Justice Project, yep. right, and, and combined programs. We try to help people from being evicted. But a lot of times it's that's what you just described. Yeah, Someone needs exactly. a car repair or they need to get a car out of towing. And if they were living in their car, then it's their home that got impounded. You know, right. and so yeah. sometimes there's two hundred and fifty bucks, five hundred bucks, something like that that could solve this. And so mm-hmm. we're really trying to have more flexible funding yeah. uh, so that we can help in those situations. Cause you know, any if you think about it, if like you're the city of Tacoma or Pierce County or King County, I mean, whatever, if you're a if you're a government body thinking, okay, we're going to design a homelessness program. We're going to fund some things. No one's going to allow money to go to car repairs, right? Or to pay off infractions. Like no one's going to do that. So we think as a nonprofit, a part of our value proposition, if you will, in this is to say, wow, let's make sure we got some money that's flexible Mm because we're going to know in the moment on the spot what someone needs. And so we're trying and I mean, Mark Way could probably laugh at me because we're not there yet. Like we're yeah. like we're raising some of this money and we're trying to raise more. But from time to time, as his yeah. team knows, we we can do that. We can't do it all the time, mm-hmm. but we're trying to raise more money to just do that because there's too many people are yeah. running into homelessness because they had one crisis. Yeah, yeah. Mark Way, how how um, do you interact with the school system? Do they call you in when they have a student that they either know is maybe having some housing insecurity or do they call you in when they think that might be an issue or does it sort of come more circumstantial than that? Yeah, it's just a process. They'll, um, I believe that they meet with the families. Sometimes families that come to them, sometimes they're aware of a family Mm -hmm. um, and then they'll do uh, some of some sort of interview with them and kind of feel out what their need, figure out what their needs are. Then they'll connect with my program manager and they'll, um, my program manager would then connect me with the families. Mm-hmm. Do you find that the families are um, open to your assistance or do you initially have them a little bit hesitant to share information and, and kind of trust in you? Uh, it's a little bit of both that um, over my over the time being and experiencing a lot of families, I'll get um, their contact information and then I'll, I'll email them. I'll call them. And even though I'm saying like, hey, this is Mark White Seamster with Wellspring. Yeah. I, you know, talk to the counselors at your school and we want to get connected um, as soon as possible to help you and the family. Even though I send all the information, they're still hesitant. Right. Because they have have had different experiences, yeah. even with some sense of support or they just in their experience of life, they don't really have the capacity to trust anyone, you know, but themselves or, you know, in the situations that they're in. So I get a a balance of the families that are hesitant and then some families are really, you know, forward and they're like, hey, yes, let's let's get going on the process. So it's a it's a balance. It strikes me. I mean, there's some there's some risk in trust, you know, right, because if they've been kind of managing but also sort of flying under the radar, mm-hmm. um, I can see that they may hesitate to say, to, to flag the fact that, I, you know, they actually need more help. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
I might make a comment to mm-hmm. just for your listening audience. Some people will know when Marquay earlier referred to McKinney Vento liaisons. I might just back up yeah, and explain that? What, mm-hmm. what that is because that relates to this. So there's been federal legislation. McKinney Vento is kind of federal terminology, and you'll find that in every state in the union, in, down to every school district, schools have been required to keep data on student families who report being at risk. They have some factors that put them at risk for homelessness. Mm-hmm. And that every year when schools do enrollment and registration, uh, they have to ask certain questions of families. It's kind of – it would be like the modern-day version of when we talk about free and reduced lunches, right? Yeah. There's like this, so there's an yeah. inventory. So that's been going on for a number of years now. And so then that's led school systems, state of Washington, federal government. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure who pays mm-hmm. the bill on this. It might be federal. But there, there are liaisons in school districts called McKinney-Vento liaisons. Okay. And so their job is now to take the data on, you know, student families experiencing homelessness, for example, in Tacoma School District or other districts. And then they start to ask them. They, they usually start with transportation. Like, well, how will we get kids to school? Or do oh. they need extra tutoring? Like, mm-hmm. So for the school district's perspective, it's the stuff they have control over, not the mm-hmm. stuff they don't have control over. So what happened was locally, Tacoma Housing Authority said, hey – you know, we would like to help families experiencing homelessness connected to the school district. We don't necessarily have housing stock for everybody, but yeah. what if we put some money into a program that and then fill in the blanks? So that led to this program, which is basically funded by Tacoma Housing Authority, which is very cool of them, in partnership with the public schools. Yeah. But they would both be the both agencies would be the first to say that they don't actually know how to do this. I mean, they, they can mm-hmm. they can help, right? THA can fund the schools can say, well, we can do tutoring, transportation, but who could help us find housing? And yeah. so then that's where Wellspring's kind of this. Mm-hmm. Third partner in this, so we so when uh, Marquay is referring to families coming in, there's a formal system within the schools where they identify people, but it's still pretty high level at risk. And so then someone like Marquay and his peers need to assess, like, okay, do they actually just need something really small, and mm-hmm. we can divert them from not falling into the homelessness system? Mm-hmm. Do they need you know substantial help, whatever that is? And then the I would be remiss to not say that Pierce County Human Services as well is kind of a fourth partner in all. They're kind of administrating it, mm-hmm. administering it on behalf of. Teaching and Tacoma Public Schools. But I think it's easiest to look at it like, you know, Tacoma Housing Authority said, we got some money to help. How yeah. can we do this? Let's go to the schools. And yeah. that, it's, yeah. that's what this program is that Marquay is working on. Yeah. yeah. Marquay, uh, do you find if a family comes in and they, and they are, as you, the example you gave of um, folks who may be living in a hotel, which is sort of, you know, it's giving them a shelter. Yeah. Uh, it's a warm place to sleep, but not much beyond that. And it's expensive Absolutely. because it starts, you know, racking up the costs. Um what what do you do with them if if they if they have especially things like a past eviction or other unpaid bills? I think it might be hard to get them into an apartment or into other types of housing. Yeah, there are uh, several barriers that we run into. Um, I think what we try to do is really build um, relationships with the apartment managers. Um, with the apartment owners and private owners as well mm-hmm. as just um, any apartment complex that is, that is out there. We have a partnership with um, Housing Connector, which is connected with to Zillow, where they, were, they will uh, search for different housing apartment managers and whatnot that will accept clients or ex- accept families, rather, that have these barriers, you mm-hmm. know, that may have three to $5,000 worth of um, back old bills and credit um, issues, like a lot of apartment complexes and things like that are requiring a certain amount of credit, you mm-hmm. know, which is something that is very difficult in the families that we serve, you know, because you can have no credit or your credit has just went bad, you yeah. know. So just being able to support them and them 
um, and the in the aspect of finding housing, we just have to try to walk with them, encourage them, and and have them be very hopeful. Um, and for the most part, and just again building those relationships with apartment managers and homeowners to be able to accept our clients, mm-hmm. you know, uh, so that they can find a, a place to stay. And you know, in the process, even before that um, or after the housing, walking with the clients to you know, develop the goals and the a plan to tackle these things that we can, you know, in finding employment, paying little bills off as, as much as they can. So, mm-hmm. Is there housing in Tacoma that people can get um, and when they have these types of barriers? I mean, there must be. There must be some housing, but because that's the piece that we always kind of run up against is that even if folks have like a voucher or something, they have a horrible time finding places mm-hmm. that are willing to rent to them. Yeah, um, so as far as housing is concerned, that's one of the, the barriers and the problems that we are facing mm-hmm. um, in the work that we're doing is is not a lot of available housing, you know, if I can just be honest, yeah. you know, um, in working with the families, you know, there are so many barriers, right, that um, a lot of apartment managers and companies that just won't accept the families. And then on top of that, they're just not, there's not much availability, yeah. you know, so... That is one of our main issues or problems or struggles right mm-hmm. now. So, And while I was saying that Wellspring doesn't – we don't have facilities, we are huge advocates that – I mean, you need hundreds of units yeah, in absolutely. Tacoma. I mean, yeah. you really do. Like, yeah. we just – we need affordable housing stock in this community. So if any yeah. of your listeners have ideas about affordable <laughs> housing stock yeah, or land or developers who have that compassionate interest, I mean, it's – Tacoma and Pierce County need it badly. Yeah. yeah. Bad. You know, I mean – I've just had a series on our local public radio station, uh, KNKX, on a group of tenants who were in one of the last boarding houses in Tacoma. Mm. And they were all – I mean, they to call them poverty level is, is sort of an overstatement, frankly. I mean, they were all on social, the type of social security where they had 750 bucks a month to yeah. live on. Wow. And this was one of the last places that you could get a room for around $400 a month. Yeah. Yeah. And it um, – you know, I don't know if it was sold. It was sold, and I don't know if it was torn down or it's going to be rehabilitated, but – it's gone. Yeah, and over half wow. the pe- the half the people that the reporter had talked to have passed away since then wow. because yeah. there's just nothing. There's yeah. nothing, and you know Tacoma was always sort of an affordable city. So yes. I mean, I think I think this is yes. kind of a um, existential crisis for Tacoma too, mm. because it used to be a place where if you were down and out, you might be able to find a place to yeah. land, mm-hmm. and it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that place is now if you're yeah. down and out. Um, but it's sort of – I mean this is something that I think our, our local governments have had a really hard time coming to terms with is, yeah. you know, some of the things that we offered, we can't offer, we're not offering. And looking at the private sector to say, you know, keep building apartments that will solve the problem. It's like, well, nobody's building $400 a month. Right. Apartments. Right. No, nobody is. And unless they have incentives from government to do that. I mean, and, you know, if, if you study King County a bit, you know, there was a time when there were incentives around affordable housing about yeah. a decade ago. But those those incentives also run out at either mm-hmm. 10 or 15 or 20 years. And so there's tax mm-hmm. credits and such. So folks can flip those, you know, and then make those no longer affordable. And in yeah. King County, I 
there's been so little affordable housing being built up there. And so I can't even say to Pierce, like, hey, look at King. I mean, mm-hmm. you can look at King historically, but mm-hmm. you can't really look at King in the present day. And I I personally think, I mean, I don't know the kind of political views of your followers. And I don't, you know, and, and I'm in three counties and I don't get too tied into the local politics. But I would say if you want to push your politicians and your elected and public policy, affordable housing in this county is desperately needed. And yes, if you look is. at the data on, I read some studies Oh, a few months back during COVID that of all the counties in the state of Washington with the highest potential rate of eviction when the moratorium ended, Pierce County is the worst of all the counties, really? highest rate of prospective eviction. I mean, so that's that's what you're dealing with here. So for so for folks in government to be thinking about how to incentivize and build or to build themselves affordable housing, that's huge. Yeah, it is huge. Okay. Let's take a break here. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about some of the specific services that you're offering and kind of where you're going with this. This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Most colleges raise tuition each year, but they don't increase their students' scholarships or financial aid. That means that students and their families are often forced to pay upwards of ten dollars to $12,000 more than they expected. This can push families into financial hardship or force students to leave their university with debt and without a degree. At PLU, we're stopping that cycle. That's why our fixed tuition guarantee ensures that your cost of tuition will be locked in from your first day to your graduation day. Learn more at plu.edu tuition. Hi, we're back. Hey, before we launch back into this really interesting discussion about um, homelessness and families and students, um, let me tell you a little bit about Channel 253. We are a small group that is committed to putting on podcasts and other events in Tacoma to try to increase civic engagement. We want you to know what's going on in Tacoma. We want you to talk about what's going on in Tacoma. We want you to take part in helping shape Tacoma. If you want to join Channel 253, it is $4 a month or $40 a year. That funds our podcasts. We have a couple of other things we're doing. We started doing a Monday um, Twitter Spaces conversation called the Channel 253 Party Line. You are welcome to join that any Monday, usually around 6 p.m. May change a little bit here and there. We also have a member Slack channel that is a great place to keep up with everything going on in Tacoma. And our producer, Doug, does a podcast called Off the Record that gives you a little behind-the-scenes glimpse of what's going on with our podcasters and other folks. So please consider joining us. Okay, so back into this difficult situation. One of the things um, Peter had said off, uh, sort of off the record before we started recording was, it's kind of the iceberg issue, and that is that the homelessness that we see in Tacoma most obviously are the folks who have really run out of all of their options, and they are intense. They're living on the streets, and generally that is not families, and generally that is not children, that there is another huge number of people who are couch surfing. They're staying at grandma's place. They're maybe in a hotel short term. Um, what are you guys seeing in terms of any sense of numbers in Pierce County, Tacoma, of what, of what we're looking at? Well, we do know that when people see visible homelessness, you you get to multiply that by five, basically, and that's what's invisible. So this is that tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's hard to count during COVID 
So it's hard to be really, I would be, I couldn't be scientifically accurate like on this very day that we're recording, but I would say that in general, when you see visible homelessness, and I, I always think that people react to homelessness, I mean the public reacts to yeah. homelessness, either because they think it's ugly, yeah. right? They're like, oh, this makes my town ugly, or it's yeah. an aesthetic problem, right? Yeah. And there's another group of people who are like, hey, I don't want to live in a community that treats people this way. Like, I, I'd like to live in a society where we don't put people in this position. Mm-hmm. And so um, so for those for whom it's an aesthetic problem, I just want to challenge them that the problem's way bigger than what they see. For the people Absolutely. who really, truly want to understand the human condition in Pierce County, you got to multiply by five. It's a fifth. We know, that, and it plays out nationally pretty significantly, but most definitely in Washington State, that you're seeing 20% of homelessness mm-hmm. uh, when you see what you're seeing visually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's really – it's significant. It is significant. And I think in, uh, in uh, surveys that have been going on, people do see that homelessness and then housing issues as sort of the number one problem mm-hmm. at, at our time. And it kind of – it kind of snuck up on us, mm-hmm. right? Because, I mean, I, we bought our house 20 years ago. It was very affordable, and there really mm-hmm. wasn't any lack of housing. I mean, affordable, reasonably affordable housing. Mm-hmm. So, and I would say that continued for a number of years, but over the last 10 years, that has just been changing dramatically. Well, yeah. and there's that whole term gentrification, which mm-hmm. I, I have a yeah. love-hate relationship with that term, but <laughs> but it pushing people out. I mean, yeah. truly, it's like it's kind of putting lipstick on a pig in a sense to say, oh, gentrifying. But it, but people have been getting pushed out of neighborhoods. And so, in, in fact, yeah. as you're saying, like you rewind 20 years, probably a part of what made things affordable some time ago was, you know, increasingly, just as the, the real estate economy develops, you know, things are getting turned and flipped and developed. And that's all that's all great for the person who owns the house. I mean, like, yeah. I'm, I'm not against that as an economic mm-hmm. idea. It's a great way for people. But it, there's less and less and less stock for people who are looking for affordable yeah. housing. And that, right. that's all connected. And so you're right. It takes a generation. You said 20 years. I mean, yeah. really, it's been a generational shift in Tacoma. For yeah. Sure. I think we have some unique pressures here, too, because King County has had such enormous growth in jobs, especially in the tech sector, that it's just boomed, mm-hmm. especially in Seattle. It's boomed and has made even um, even what I would consider sort of middle-class housing completely unaffordable. Right. I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, three, four-bedroom houses in some of the more desirable communities that were average, you know, Ballard, average community, um, Finney Ridge, average community, those houses are now going for a million plus. So oh, yeah. even yeah. people with good jobs can't afford that. Right. And so you're looking at your a whole large group of people who are then looking around thinking, well, maybe if I move to Tacoma, that's still a pretty decent commute into yeah, Seattle. Right. And so then Tacoma, yeah, Tacoma you know, suffers change, from that in a big way. changes, right. definitely. Well, Marquay, tell me about – tell me if there was if there was one thing, if you had a magic wand – and you could change one thing that would make your life and the services that you're working with people to try to get easier, what would it be? Well, I'm going to say a, <laughs> a few things. Okay. One, you can no, have several I'll, choices with right. your magic wand. I'll be going crazy with the magic wand. <laughs> yeah. um, for me, it would be affordable housing, really. Mm-hmm. Affordable housing that was able to accept our families with the barriers that they have, right? Um, in a sense that you know, we're coming in and we're supporting the families and we wanting to change the trajectory of the family's life. Um, and housing would help with that. I have families that live in hotels, that sleep in their car, 
and that if they just had a place to call home to to go to every night or every morning to wake up and get the kids prepared for school, that they will be in such a place and and encouraged to take care of those things. Right. Because, again, back to the the situation that you mentioned with the um, gal getting the ticket for uh, taillight, mm-hmm. right? Like if that situation had been different and and housing had been available or housing was available, then they would have been more encouraged to maybe go pay that or something and not right. and cause the, the chain effect of things yeah. happening and, you know, putting that family into a hole again. So for me, my magic wand would definitely be affordable housing. Okay. hundred percent units or anything like that. So mm-hmm. tell me a story about a, a, a family you've helped where you've seen the success of being able to intervene and assist people. So, what you know, sort of makes you feel like I am doing a good job and what I'm <laughs> yeah. doing is important because we have to have those, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the success stories are great. So I have, uh, a few families, one family in particular um, is a family of five. They were um, in a shared housing situation. So there were three families in one in one house, which okay. was only like a three bedroom. Right. So, so that's you gotta, a, a difficult situation. Right. You got to think about the family dynamic of one and then two other families. They were literally in a shared housing situation and the situation just it wasn't. I mean, I can't imagine having 15 plus people in a home, you know, so um, that's pretty devastating. So I was able to connect with that family um, and uh, meet with them and to be able to offer uh, resources um, in a sense that we did have some flexible funding available. Um, We were able to help pay down some um, utility bills that will cause them to uh, constantly get denied for for a home. And then I eventually um, was able to connect with the apartment manager and kind of just really have a real conversation with them. Like there's um, emails and letters, excuse me, there's emails and letters that we can send to the um, apartment managers to kind of introduce who we are. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I wanted to make sure that we were able to make that connection and that they could see my face and that they would know who we were as a um, company because, again, we were fairly new. Yeah. Um, And then in doing that, building that relationship with them, they developed some some sort of trust with us and and wanting to accept the family with the, the minimum amount of barriers that they had. And the family was able to move in and they've been successfully housed for over a year now. And they've been paying, you know, their rent and um, obviously the utility bills on time and the kiddos are in school. And, you know, every now and then we're able to support them like this um, past holiday season or uh, Thanksgiving. We were able to give out some gift cards to some of the families to buy dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, some of the families that are you know, actually currently homeless in hotels or even on the street, we were able to just give them a small gift. And that was because of flexible funding mm-hmm. that we were able to do that for the family. So, um, but back to the family, they're, they're doing well. And um, it was, it was in, super encouraging for me mm-hmm. to, you know, see that there are families that are motivated and that change can happen. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I would think from the apartment manager perspective too, Having a successful renter situation is going to make them more open Absolutely. to the next one that you come forward with. And it is a long-term relationship you're starting because, I mean, I think that that's one of the sort of secret back 
door barriers. Mm-hmm. It's not just, you know, the person has an eviction on their record or they've got unpaid bills or, you know, some places now are, you know, demanding I mean, the, the fees to move in are exorbitant. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of them want to see things like, you know, proof that you have, um, you know, a monthly income of double the rent. And it's right. I'm thinking, like, uh, you know, when I started working as a at the attorney general's office, I sure didn't have a monthly yeah. income that was double my rent. Yeah, it's about three and times no it right now. No, yeah. and I, yeah. I mean, when did it's, I ever have? I mean, it literally took in years and years and years to have a, an income that that would be right. that level. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so the sort of secret back, I think, qualifications is a manager looking at the family that's had some challenges and saying. I just think you're going to take up a lot of my time and attention, and it worries me. Mm-hmm. And so having you form that relationship can Absolutely. help with that significantly. Yeah. It's really true. And what that also has in common with the story, Evelyn, that you told earlier is – and this is an interesting one you know, for your audience, and I know this is a shock to me being in the field. Over half the people we're talking about today are people who have a job and have an income. Right. Mm-hmm. Less than half are unemployed. And so we've come to the place as an agency where we say the thing – I'll say something in a second that's a kind of a brain teaser, but mm-hmm. it's true. And you have to listen to me closely when I say it. It's more likely that a family will become – let's see. More, more likely that a family will lose their job, like that someone will lose their job because of their homelessness. That's more likely than someone losing their home because they lost their job. That's so interesting. Other, so in other words, mm-hmm. right? So we're de- there's so much in terms of the working poor who are trying to keep it all together, and yeah. then one crisis sends them over the edge. That's yeah. why when Marquay just told that story, I'm listening to it thinking like, oh, man, I bet many listeners, like I would have been, are thinking like, wait, but how's that family going to keep paying for that? Well, right. sometimes it's that momentary crisis. They need some support for three months, six mm-hmm. months, whatever. They've got the basis, but when you when you become homeless – now you can't do the things to keep yourself employed. So now you lose your job because of your homelessness. Yeah. You don't lose yeah. your you lose your home because of your job loss. I mean, that is a real brain twist from how I used to think about things. Yeah, we had a before COVID, uh, when maybe our last adult. We run a program called Adult Civics Happy Hour, which is mm-hmm. you know, every couple of months um, bring in some outside experts to talk about things, and the audience is there. It's usually at a bar, so people are drinking and listening mm-hmm. and talking, and it's wonderful. And we'll hope to get back to that someday. <laughs> But one of the last ones, uh, Will James, who was the reporter at KNKX that I mentioned with this recent article about the um, folks who had been living in a um, in a boarding house, he talked then. He was already working on homeless issues, and he said that there was someone – I think it was near the Pe- – People's Park had an encampment in it. And one of the people there – I don't think he was employed, but he was highly employable. Mm-hmm. But what he needed – was some place to keep his stuff during yeah. the day, yeah. just some place that locked, yeah. even a, a little, a tiny house, whatever mm-hmm. it be, yeah. anything, so that he could keep his stuff while he went to work so it wouldn't get stolen. Yeah. That was it. That was the barrier to yeah. him being able to, he could, if he had a place to keep his stuff, he could get a job, mm-hmm. no question. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, the most elemental things. And so, yes, mm-hmm. I can imagine that the homelessness not having a place, not having a safe space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you get to work on time in the morning? How do you get yeah. cleaned up and ready for your day? Yeah. And the corollary then is childcare, right? So mm-hmm. so a lot of families, to your point, they would be employable, 
right? They could maintain that income, but there's this trade-off. You've got children and maybe very young children. Yeah. You can't just go. I mean, you might be able to leave your stuff in a tiny house, but can't leave your child. No. I mean, so we we look at these three things all kind of go together: is childcare, mm-hmm. employment, and housing. And so, I mean, if I had Marquay's magic wand, right? <laughs> right. You know, if we yes. keep going to town, Peter, you can have a magic wand. <laughs> okay. You know, I would just add to that the childcare piece. We we actually could shore up, I think, employment with people who are employable. That would be the easiest Absolutely. of the three yeah. to figure out. Yeah. Yeah, right for all true. the reasons we're talking about, but housing and childcare. Oh man! And then in COVID, it's just gotten it worse for lots of reasons. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the things Tacoma Public Schools was it was started this year, and I don't know enough of the details of it, but they started a free preschool program. So, and I don't know whether everyone who wants it can get it, or whether only mm-hmm. some can get it, or if only some schools are offering it. But you know, that might be a piece um, to factor in too. Is that there are now some. I think, uh, you know, public public schools, so really good uh, certificated people doing the teaching and care uh, and free or almost no cost mm-hmm. through the public schools. That may be something that is mm-hmm. a positive for Tacoma for the future. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not specifically familiar, unfortunately. I wish I were. But I also know in the last legislative session in Washington State, there's a lot of movement around yeah. child care too. So I think we're going to see things kind of starting Jan 1, yeah. starting to roll out. And I had I prepared myself for this particular issue, I could have told you more. But I would say it would be a great topic, though, for mm-hmm. your audience is the child care crisis because it's yeah. huge. Yeah. yeah, that is a really good topic. We'll only take that up. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um what else – well, I won't say what else, but where do you see your programs going, let's say, this year and for the next five years? Marquay, what would you like to see happen or what do you know is going to happen or what's the plan? Uh, I'd like to see happen uh, definitely um, the increase in housing, mm-hmm. uh, the increase in the child care. Peter hit it on the nail there when, when the, if the child care was available, that will free up the parents to go and find work, yeah. uh, being homeless or not, right, being able to – uh, have some sense of financial stability to uh, work towards that goal to find housing. Um, but a lot of the families that I work with have very small children. Um, a lot of them are newly have new children, mm-hmm. you know, so in the sense of child care and that in that aspect, it, it just gets very difficult. So within the next five years, I would love to see um, just us being able to be more impactful and even for the listening audience to be able to um educate themselves about what's more, educate themselves more about what's happening and um, in ways that they could help, whether it be financially or just being able to be uh, a support to um, our organization and different um, avenues to support homeless families. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Peter, what would you say? What's the plan. Yeah. yeah I, in terms of, so my role, when I introduce myself, I serve as chief strategy officer. So strategic planning, it rolls up to me. And of course, COVID mm-hmm. threw a big wrench in all of that. But mm-hmm. if I go back to kind of pre-COVID and now we're pivoting a lot now, I mean, you really rush to focus on the fundamentals of the present moment during this pandemic. And Wellspring has actually doubled in size in the course of the pandemic, which is mm. phenomenal. Like yeah. we didn't know, I mean, back in March of 2020 and April 2020, we didn't know if we'd be laying off half the people and cutting in half. Like we did not, right? You just didn't know. And then as the months kind of, you know, moved along and things ensued, we just found we were hiring and hiring and hiring. Our staff were getting fatigued and fatigued and fatigued. I mean, so a lot like, I mean, you know, we've all focused on like healthcare workers and all their fatigue during COVID. And I really think that nationally speaking and locally speaking, both, that social service workers have been right there after healthcare workers yeah. help. And, and, and Marquay and 
all of our peers and in peer agencies also in Tacoma, we're fatigued. I mean, people mm -hmm. are working really, really hard. So when I go back to strategy for us, I mean, it's really first and foremost, I really want people to be able to take care of themselves and yeah. expand the capacity of the team so people aren't so wiped out. Otherwise, we're going to lose a whole workforce yeah. in social services, yeah. just like we've seen in child care crisis and other things. And so I'm really worried about people being healthy and frankly, happy. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's been really hard. And then but in terms of the specific strategic plan beyond that, um, it has been our intention to partner with public school districts in any all over the state, actually. Yeah. So I keep talking about three counties, and that's mm -hmm. really where our core competency has been. But our vision is to make it easier for a teacher, a counselor, a principal identifying a family at risk of homelessness to make one call mm -hmm. and be able to find the resources for help. There was a study, yeah. the Gates Foundation, this is important data, they, they funded for about 10 or 12 years family homelessness interventions in the Puget Sound. Uh, and that just wrapped up a couple of years ago. It was really Bill Gates Sr.'s desire, and mm -hmm. he has died, and they've kind of – Gates has moved on. And, but they, they've written some excellent analysis of the family homelessness um, challenge in this region, having funded – and they, of course, being the Gates Foundation, they did a lot of great research. <clears throat> what they found was a typical family in the Puget Sound has to make at least 40 phone calls – or mm. 40 points of outreach before somebody says yes or wow. says help. So if, you know, I just always uh, remind myself and others like, look, if I were experiencing homelessness, you know, I don't think I would have made it to the 37th call. No, I, you no know, after, after After three calls or seven calls, I'm giving up, you know, and, yeah. I, and I have to tell myself, keep the faith, try, 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 try. So when you get to 40 plus calls for help, so what Wellspring has said based on that and other research is we want to have one call for help. We mm -hmm. want to make it as easy as possible. And that's why we're in this role of navigating, helping people get guidance mm -hmm. to find services. Because we really think you could, like, for example, we could have all the affordable housing that Mark Wayne and I are talking about today. But people might not know how to find it. And you can imagine once you have a resource like that, other people will probably race for it. And guess who will right. get left out? Children, families experiencing homelessness who mm -hmm. don't even know it's there, right? Right. So our strategic plan is around weaving together technology and relationships across nonprofit organizations to build a resource not just for Wellspring, one that's actually for the whole human services sector so we can optimize referral, information, guidance. And we've yeah. got about 100 human service organizations in the Puget Sound who've signed on with us to say, hey, Wellspring, please take the lead on this because nobody can afford to do it themselves. Right. And so we took it on in our strategic plan to say, let's work on the technology and the framework to be able to do that. So COVID put, has obviously pushed that back a bit, but there's stuff yeah. going on behind the scenes. And and so when, when Marquay says in five years, he wants to see, you know, more housing, more childcare. And what I want, I mean, I want those things and... Five years mm -hmm. from now, I want the tech system that allows us to really optimize the referral and the support. Mm -hmm. So families make one Absolutely. call and not 40. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's would be significant. That would be that's huge. Good. Well, how can people help? So someone says, you know, gee, this sounds like uh, these sound like really good programs. Um, where can they find the information and how can they help? Well, Wellspring Family Services, it's always e easier to Google us than for me to tell you our website right. and memorize it. It's, <laughs> it's an easy website if you think it through. It's wellspringfs.org because it's wellspringfamilyservices.org. But you have to get that F and S in there. Right. Otherwise, you get some spa in like Utah or <laughs> exactly. something. You know, I don't know. But anyway, well, but if you Google Wellspring Family Services, Tacoma, Pierce County, Kinkin, you know, you'll, mm -hmm. you'll find us. And there are, some, there are some obvious ways to kind of engage there based on the website. I would say that, you know, we're getting ready as we figure out how to come out of at least this part of the pandemic, how to reopen up volunteer opportunities. So mm -hmm. volunteerism just 
just came to a standstill, not just for us, for all organizations. It's so hard to just keep people safe and do the right thing. So as we go into 2022, we're really looking toward ramping up volunteerism. So I'd say that if someone's listening, whether today or six months from now, I mean, that's a beauty of podcasts. People can mm-hmm. tune in whenever. So mm-hmm. if you're listening in 2022, 2023, and you're like, how can I help? Come to the website, look at where, you, you know, we'll, we'll have opportunities. We're working on that. And this this mobile family store I talked about earlier is going to be really exciting, yeah. and 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 I would say um, you know be in touch with us about the unfolding kind of volunteer possibilities. We have we have a number of board members, Matt Lund, who made this introduction mm-hmm. um, for us and and others, many board members from Pierce County, and we're recruiting more board members all the time. Okay. So somebody who has the kind of either legal or financial or fiduciary kind of training and background who's listening, and they're like, boy, I'd like to, there's a board I might want to serve on. I mean, we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're building out that in Pierce County as well advisors and obviously donors to the point that we said earlier about flexible funding. Like Mm -hmm. we want to be able to go beyond what government can do, beyond what kind of volunteerism can do. We want to be able to say, hey, we're going to get that car out of the impound or we're going to get, we're going to pay that ticket or we're going to pay those, you know, Marquette gave great examples of past utility bills. I mean, stuff that just prevents you, you might have a few hundred dollars, might be a few thousand dollars, but Mm -hmm. you can pass utility bills and then you can't get in. So, so our, the way people could engage is either donating toward that kind of flexible funding to volunteer with us as we open that back up in the future, or just be in touch, you know, go to the website, read a bit of the blog, see what's up and, and stay in touch with, you know, channel 253. I mean, it's a great mm-hmm. way, I think, to stay in tune, just stay in the, kind of on the beat of the community. Yeah, so. good. Is there anything that I haven't asked you about or that uh, we haven't talked about that you were hoping we'd get to today? Mark Way, how about you? Anything that we haven't talked about that you thought, oh, I just want to talk about this one more thing? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. I think our conversation was great and I, and I appreciate uh, 253 for doing this and Thank you. having me and Peter here to talk about Wellspring and some of the things that I... Um, work with the families every day. So this has been a great opportunity. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Peter, how about you? Did you get a chance to say everything that? Oh, yeah. And I got to listen to everything, too. I mean, I just think it's a treat. You know, you have to picture that Marquay and his peers who are working on the front lines as social workers, you know, they're operating with a lot of love. And, you know, we can talk on a podcast about details and data and everything else. There's a lot of love on this team. And they're really meeting people where they are, trying to help out. And so um, it's actually inspiring for me to sit down and hear some of these stories, too. I don't get to hear them every day because we get too busy Mm -hmm. doing all the stuff that we're doing. So I really, I thank you, Evelyn. I think this is a fabulous opportunity to talk about it. I encourage people to look at that, what's underneath that tip of the iceberg and to learn how big homelessness is and how we can help. Good. All right. Well, on that note... We'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you both for coming in, and thank you so much for the work you're doing. I mean, it's hard. It's hard work, but it's really important work. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Did you know Channel 253 is member-supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Crossing Division is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounders B Team, Citizen Tacoma, What Say You, and Gimme the Mic. This is Channel 253.